Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. I sincerely hope that you and all of your loved ones are doing well in this unprecedented time. I don't know about you, but when I first began to understand just the true potential impact of the coronavirus, one of the first thoughts I had was, how are my wife and I going to talk about this with our four-year-old daughter? And what has become clear to me is that this is an opportunity for us as parents and for us as the church to lead. That's why I was so excited to talk to Sean McDowell and Matt Markins. Odds are you know Matt. He's the president and chief strategy officer at Awana. Dr. Sean McDowell, professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. He's a prolific author and speaker and a resident scholar for Summit Ministries out in California. In addition to being leaders, these two guys are concerned dads who have felt the same concerns and fears about their own kids that you're feeling right now about your kids. You can learn more about both of them via the show notes. In particular, I would encourage you to follow Sean on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and even TikTok. You can also go to seanmcdowell.org. If you want to learn more about Matt, I would encourage you to buy his latest book, which many of you have, Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Faith. I hope you leave this conversation as encouraged as I did, because as big and scary as this crisis is, it's an opportunity. We start the conversation with Sean and his initial thoughts as he began to understand what the coronavirus was really going to mean to him, his family, and ultimately the rest of us. So here is episode 20 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I was actually at the airport about 6.30 in the morning. I was about to fly to an event in South Carolina and my wife called me. She goes, I just don't have a good feeling about this. I'm not sure you should do it. And this was the Friday that everything really started to shut down. And so I was sitting there in the airport. And it was kind of like a ghost town in Orange County. There's never that few cars there. And I just drove back and something inside me was like, you know what? Things typically go better just when I listen to my wife anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, on for so many different reasons. Yeah. And I started driving home and just thinking like, whoa, what's this going to mean for teaching my classes? What's this going to mean for my kids? Our school is going to shut down. Personally, what's this going to mean? I, I make a significant living by traveling and speaking, and that's going to be shut down for months. Uh, what's this going to mean for my parents who are in the 65-plus range in their health? I think it was just a flood of the unknown, which really is what can create fear and anxiety, I think, in people's minds. Mm, that's good. Yeah, kind of much in the same way. And I'm, I'm regularly reaching out to my brother. Uh, with medical things. He's a pastor and was a nurse for 20 years prior to going into ministry. And so I reached out to a couple of uh, friends who are going to have their finger much close, more closely on the pulse of what's happening here. And just listening to what they're saying and the data they've been, they've been paying attention to. And it really just caused my wife and I to say, yeah, I think this, this could be, this could be what, you know, some of the experts are saying that it's going to be. And, And to Sean's point, there's been a lot of fear and anxiety that, that's come along with that. And then to network with other with other leaders whose livelihoods do depend on the ability to travel. Of course, some of my my background history is in the events world as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of negative impact that's come as a, as a part of this that's caused a significant amount of fear and anxiety. And I, I think it's important to sort of start the conversation with that kind of level setting because I think some folks who listen to this, and I know I have this expectation of people – Uh, whose faith that I emulate, but just in general, people that I look up to, 
where I go, oh man, I have all these questions, but I bet some smart people like Sean and Matt know all the answers already. Right. And it's, I think it's important to understand that we're all in this together. And that's part of what makes this such a unique moment. Sean, I know that a lot of the initial conversation that you began to share publicly started with this idea of the problem of evil and why is this happening? So looking at, you know, the, the big question of why does God allow the coronavirus to happen? If God's in charge, how do we begin to answer that question for folks on why this is happening right now? So if I can, since I'm a teacher, let me make a couple uh, distinctions. One between the emotional problem and two, the intellectual problem of evil. Okay. And in my experience, the vast majority of people when they ask this question are really asking, why do I suffer? Why am I losing my job? Uh, why am I hurting? Why are my friends sick? Why is the economy sinking? Like, these are very personal questions. And as Christians, if we jump in and give an intellectual response, I think sometimes we can do more harm than good. I mean, Romans twelve fifteen says, cry with those who cry and be happy with those who are happy. So part of our response is to comfort and love and be there with people. Now, with that said, if conversations arise and it's in the right time and people really want to know, I'd say a few things. I'd say, first, it's not just the Christian worldview that has to answer why this happened. Every single worldview, atheism does, Islam does, uh, New Age does. And I'm a Christian because I think the Christian worldview offers the best response intellectually and emotionally. Uh, one of the big things I would point towards is it shouldn't surprise Christians to find something, a virus of this magnitude that is wrecking havoc. And that's because we take very seriously the fall in the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis, that when Adam and Eve chose to eat that and rebel against God, it talks about thorns that came in the ground and the earth was cursed and the world was fundamentally changed because of mankind's sin. Even Romans 8 talks about uh, creation groaning. So mm. exactly how that plays out scientifically, I mean, we could flush some of those details out, but <laughs> sure. in some ways Christians shouldn't be surprised by this. We should realize this is a broken, messed up world. And the question is, how are we as Christians going to respond in terms of loving our neighbor when we see the brokenness that's around us? That's good. I definitely would take your class if I was smart enough to get into your school, Sean. Um, the, <laughs> one of the things that really stands out to me about that too, is, um, I think so often when we are faced with moments like this, I know I'm this way where I go, okay, I need to sort of gather all the facts. I need to gather all the information. I need to have the intellectual argument ready. And I think to your point, recognizing that emo needing to lead with emotion, needing to lead with heart, uh, around uh, here at Awana, we use language like spine and heart. And to be able to lead, lead with the heart, because when you lead with spine, you're going to wind up often, not always, but alienating people uh, when you really have an opportunity to connect with them. Matt, when we think about how there is this suffering that is happening, and so many people are impacted by it, a lot of studies at the moment that, that we record this suggest that there's going to be that 80% of the population is going to wind up getting the coronavirus in some form. So we're all going to know somebody who has it just st statistically. When you think about, particularly in the context of discipling kids, how do you begin to help a leader understand why this moment is happening? One of the things that we're reminding our sons of on a regular basis, uh, when you're doubting God's goodness or, or if you hear something about God that seems to be inconsistent, to go back to what you already know is true, 
right? So if I, if I know that God is good, if I've seen his goodness on display time and time again in my life and in my life experience, I need to recall those experiences. I need to remember what I've written down in my journal or go back to my photos. And I need, I need to go back to his word and be reminded of the goodness of God throughout the story of the gospel, throughout scripture, and the gifts that he's given us over and over again. And so I think it's important that we remind our kids that God is a good God. Uh, he is the God of creation, the God of perfection, right? Mm. Um, so that's a really important thing to remind them. And, and also, I think what it does is we, we can give our kids context for what goodness is, right? I remember asking a college professor uh, some parenting advice uh, as when I was taking a, parent, or a course on marriage and the family. And he said, you know, the best advice I could give you, the best thing you can do for your kids is to simply not harm them. <laughs> and and I, re- I remember walking away. I remember walking away from that experience thinking, really, of, of all the pieces of advice I think you could give me. But as I've gotten much older and I've seen more and more abuse and neglect around the world, I think his statement is true. One of the best things we can do is to not harm them, but to show them goodness. Because every time we do that, we're, we're showing the children of this world, the children in our family and community, who God is and what the attributes of God are. And we can bring that into our home right now, even during this time of self-quarantining, uh, and remember that we have an opportunity every day to reflect that to our kids. That's great, Matt. You know, I, to, speaking of home, this is a moment of a lot of fear and a lot of confusion. You know, there's real big picture, tangible things like fear of death. But I think it's also just, it feels like a scary time. I have a four-year-old daughter who is asking big questions and recognizing that I'm at home a lot, that uh, mom and dad seem anxious. So in this time of unprecedented fear, specifically fear of death, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can to provide comfort and um, peace to our children. But it stands out to me that sometimes there's, there's a point where you can tell your kids, Hey, everything's going to be okay. And then there's a point where, because that is not necessarily true, that isn't always helpful. So how do you guys strike that balance in talking to your own kids or just again, counseling other leaders on how do we help, you know, practically help kids and students through times of fear? Number one fear that people consistently have, at least before this coronavirus outbreak was public speaking. (laughs) And I think the big reason is, in public speaking, we feel like we're out of control and everybody's looking at us. And I don't want to be embarrassed because I'm focusing on myself. So we have fear when we're focused on ourselves and things out of control. But First John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. In other words, the antidote to fear is love. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my kids, even a very simple thing. I said, you know, let's think of people probably right now don't have the same company that we have, people that leave maybe singles, people that live alone. And let's reach out and just see how we can love them. We called a neighbor. We met with uh, another teacher who's single and just went over and said hi. And my students really enjoyed it, and my kids, and were blessed by it. And it starts to take the focus off ourselves and just to put it on loving other people. So that's one practical thing is just ask your kids and ask your family, all right, guys, you know, we're, we're maybe stressed and we're a little anxious and we're upset and things are building up. Like, this is normal. It's okay. It's, given the circumstances, this is normal. But let's right. find little ways we can love other people. And that just shifts the focus 
outward. I asked, I was teaching a class at, at Biola online. I asked my students, like, tell me little ways you've loved other people. And one girl said, you know, I go out for coffee and there's social distancing, but I still, I just leave a bigger tip than normal because almost everybody's like not tipping because they're afraid of, you know, running out of money. It's like, I just left a little bigger tip because I want to bless these people. I thought that's an awesome way to model for our kids how to respond to some of this fear. And I guess the second thing would be to put it in perspective. You know, we're going to be okay. We live in the States and, you know, even if you think they're worst case scenario, most people, right, by far will make it through this and our country will bounce back and God is good and Jesus rose from the grave. Sometimes just putting into perspective uh, helps make sense of the urgency of the moment. Sean, if we've got children whose family members are severely infected, uh, and perhaps even loss of family. How, how do you recommend that we talk to our children and students about death? When when the eight year old or the ten year old says, you know, is grandmother going to die? And she is. How, how do we walk parents? How do we help parents to have these difficult conversations? Now, I think age four is going to be different than a kid who's eight or fourteen or fifteen. So some of this has to be age appropriate. Yeah. But I found in some ways we just really need to be honest with our kids. We just need to tell them the truth. And the truth is, you know, I might not use these words, is that all of us are going to die. We're all mortal. The things we know, taxes and death are part of this life. <laughs> and, you know, we live in a world that tries so hard to just hide and pretend that death isn't a reality. And sometimes things like this coronavirus remind us, and even not long ago, like the death of Kobe, like, my goodness, if Kobe can go out, anybody can go out. Like, it's kind of the backhanded blessing, and I use that term somewhat reservedly, is that it does remind us that life is mortal, and it doesn't go on forever. And, you know, I'm not going to promise my kid something about grandma that I don't know, but I'll say, you know what, we don't know. We're going to pray about this. We're going to love her, hope she gets through this. And we're going to be here for her. And you know what? The Christian worldview actually gives us hope through this. As hard as it is, we actually can make sense of death. And this is a part of what it means to be a Christian. I would show comfort, and I would use it as an opportunity to talk to our kids about a Christian view of death. That's really good. And I, what I love about how what both of you guys have said so far is— there's a, there's a way to talk to kids in moments like this that is very uh, patronizing, that is very like they're less than or they're, they have a junior version of the Holy Spirit in them. And what I see here in both of you is reflecting back what God is already up to in their lives. It's educating them on a Christian worldview that they can develop themselves in their own spiritual life, obviously within age-appropriate context. To go off of that, how do we help that parent who probably wasn't parented themselves all that well? understand a biblical Christian worldview around death? Well, I think one of the things to do is to go back to Scripture and just see how Scripture makes sense of death. And really, from the beginning of the Bible until the end, it's God's response to death that was brought on by sin. So I might go to a passage like 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about death and what it means in our resurrection body and the truth of the resurrection, how it climaxes with Paul saying, you know, in a sense, mocking death because he believes in the resurrection. I think if we're going to build the biblical worldview, we've got to go read some passages about death. I've actually been reading the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, before this whole thing hit, and it's somewhat of a depressing kind of melancholy mm. book. 
but partly what I, I think uh, Solomon is saying is he's like, look, all is vanity. Death is coming. This is life. And we try to fill up ourselves with great pursuits and with pleasure and accomplishment to hide the fact that we're going to die. Mm. And that's kind of at the heart of this book. So any parent, read Ecclesiastes. Read 1 Corinthians 15 and just start to ask, what does it mean to believe in Jesus and how we face death? And then just have these conversations with our kids. You don't have to have it all figured out. Uh, if you don't have it figured out, it's okay to say to your kids, I'm not really sure. Uh, let me read a little bit and get back to you on this. I'm actually reading a book right now by a friend that comes out in a few weeks. It's called Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. And you know, oh, wow. That's timely. It's a great book. We're going to do a, we're doing, we're doing a live stream on it. And uh, the point being, you know, it's by my friend Clay Jones. And if it comes out, you know, about a few, few weeks after this airs, it's the kind of thing you could really read and make sense of death from a Christian perspective and just read and share with your kids. So I just look at this, you know, it's not like I want to have a conversation with death with my kids about it, but it is an opportunity. Death is a part of life. Let's seize this opportunity to help our kids think Christianly. When we are in this moment of crisis, how do we encourage parents and kids even that they have real purpose and real value in a moment like this? Yeah, so let's talk about where we are now and where we're going to be here in a few weeks, right? So I think where we are now, for some of us, we may be only a few days into uh, this sheltering at home. And I got to be honest, day one for us, we were the worst parents. Like our, we, we, we had no structure in place and our kids were on their screens constantly because we're, we're all trying to just take care of ourselves and reorient. But somewhere along the way, day two, day three, we were like, okay, we got to have some structure in here. So I think from a process and structural standpoint, it's a very practical thing we can do now. And if we haven't done it already, parents, the more we can get some type of rhythm, new rhythm, where we're all working in our own homes, we're all there playing and working in the same space, to get some rhythm, to get some structures in place that make sense, sense for our children and sense for uh, parents to be able to accomplish what we're be, what the demands that are on us from our work. I think another thing, too organizations and companies need to realize kids are going to be on Zoom calls. <laughs> I've already seen children in the background, children on laps, uh, babies crying. And quite frankly, it's been very human and it's been amazing. And I've really enjoyed uh, those uh, very welcome interruptions to the workplace. So that, that's just a very practical thing now is getting structure in place. But thinking, thinking ahead to how we can fill that structure We've got to we've got to come together as families. We've got to talk about what's happening uh, in ways that are both comforting as uh, some very real ways as well, and as Sean said, very child appropriate. Uh, we've got to figure out how to invite our kids into this conversation uh, because what's going to happen two weeks from now, three weeks from now, two months from now, you know, not knowing exactly where this thing is going, but if it does have significant impact, the church. The church is really going to be needed in some big ways, you know, to provide meals uh, for for the poorest of the poor who are marginalized. So, so for churches to to put those feelers out and to be aware of where the needs are in our community, uh, this I mean, what a great opportunity for our kids to to see what's happening in the world and to know that they were a part of that. They were a part of bringing God's hope, uh, God's restoration, and and hopefully even the gospel to our friends and neighbors. 
and and probably on the worst case scenario, we're talking about how are we how are we going to grieve with those who are grieving, and how are we going to help bury friends and family members and community members in the month ahead if this does hit how they think it might hit. Uh, so we've just got to be prepared for that. So let's prepare our kids for these seasons ahead. But again, how wonderful to see the bride of Christ be the bright, radiant bride, showing our communities what Jesus looks like. That's great. Sean, I'm going to ask the question to you this way. Of, we're in this moment of the coronavirus. What do we do about it? Well, I'm, I'm a professor and I'm kind of a 30,000 foot view thinker on a lot of issues. <laughs> and one of the questions I've asked is like, how is culture going to change because of this? Like I think of 9-11 and how radically culture changed after 9-11 permanently in a number of ways. And I think culture is going to change because of this in a few ways. Number one, I think there's going to be more isolation. People are finding out that they can work at least many jobs, not all, but many entirely from home. I think this is going to usher in a new age of anxiety for people. There's already depression and anxiety at highs, especially with Gen Z. And, you know, I think it's going to add other things in culture as well. Maybe even a, a worry about scarcity and a recognition that Americans aren't used to, that supplies are just not endlessly available whenever and wherever we want them. So given how culture is shifting, I'm asking myself, okay, if people are becoming more isolated, how is the church, are we going to relationally reach out to where people are and love them where people are at? If people are going to be more anxious, how are we going to actually help people at the church with their anxiety? And if there's going to be scarcity, very practically speaking, if we're in a grocery store and there's one gallon of milk and we look at the person next to us and we both want it, our Christian's going to say, you know what? You go ahead. God's going to take care of me. I just look at this as an opportunity to basically say, how are we going to better love people? Mm. And practically, that means my spouse. I saw a study out of China this morning that says in one of the big districts that felt the effects of this disease, there has been a significant increase in divorce. Some of that is because people are living together 24-7. There's heightened concerns, and it just brings out and potentially brings out the worst of us. I can ask myself, okay, how do I love my spouse through this? How do I love my wife through this? How do I love my neighbor? And I'm not on this podcast because I got it figured out. I'm regularly going to my kids going, hey, sorry, I blew it, messed up, my bad. We're kind of figuring out things as we go. But the bottom line, the church, individuals, everyone listening here, may people look back on this time and say, you know what? It was the Christian in my life that loved me. If we do that regardless of the stuff that none of us can control, we've been successful and we've been faithful. Amen. This is a moment for us to, to love others. This is a moment for us while the world and culture can make it easier for us to be more isolated, easier for us to look inward. And it was already very easy for us to look inward, especially in the West that instead that the calling might very well be for us to look outward and look for ways to love those closest to us that we know are going to be impacted. I love that one of your first responses was figuring out how to help your neighbors. This moment has a real opportunity for the church to be the church, but I want to transition a little bit and we, we started getting here, but I want to kind of get here explicitly. What I see in, you know, particularly the digital space right now is that while there is new story after new story about how terrible the statistics look about bad stories, about bad behavior, I'm seeing all of this, for lack of a better term, 
uh, Christian content that seems very full of hope. Uh, I have a pastor friend of mine out in Minnesota who's talking about how all these other people started flocking to his Facebook page and he realized it was because he was presenting the hope of the gospel in a moment where everything else on their phone, everything else on their screen was presenting a real dire picture and people were gravitating towards that hope. So let's, let's talk about hope. This might be our generation's greatest opportunity to love others well. If someone is hearing this and they're feeling motivated in the podcast, what's the first step that they can take, the next right thing uh, for them to begin to show the world the hope that comes with a relationship with Jesus? Sometimes as Christians, we talk about like changing culture and impacting culture as if we think we have more influence than we do. <laughs> and I think, I think it'd be better off if Christians listening just said, you know what, how do I reach out and love one person in my neighborhood and what does that look like that's it like let's just start there i think about culture i look at these big ideas and i write books and i do youtube videos blah 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 but when it's all said and done you know jesus said love your neighbor so i'd say just think of something really small simple who's somebody you can call that is maybe single christian or not and just say you know what i was thinking about you I can't imagine how tough it would be to be quarantined and not have that human contact. Uh, I thought, you know, we love you. And if you just want to go on a walk and keep our six foot distance, Hey, I'm there for you. That's it. That's good. That's it. It's simple. If we just had that focus then we're hopeful through this. And the other thing is I would also say, look for people who are hurting. Look for people who are hurting. There's a lot of people right now that are really stressed and depressed and hurting and man as christians if we could just keep our eyes open and look for somebody who just needs to talk look for somebody who just says you know can i pray for you that could be a huge blessing in somebody's life amen and to your point if we're all doing that if the whole church is mobilized by that that's how we achieve the the positive culture changes that you were referring to that's how guys like you exactly. can, in 30,000 feet can go, oh, wow, this is when culture shifted. Matt, what right now is giving you hope? Well, one thing that gives me hope is that uh, we can see resilience built in the lives of kids in difficult circumstances. So Sean was speaking of how can we as individuals uh, exude and, and reflect hope out into our communities and into our own environment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot that toward, uh, toward our children. So we as parents or those who coach and disciple those who work with kids, uh, you know, we can look at this time and say, you know, this really stinks for kids, right? There's a lot of negative, uh, potentially negative impact. I mean, a lot of kids are, home is not the best place, not the safest place. Uh, for, for many children, for many it is, but for many it's not. Um, and I think we need to be reminded of the science of resilience. We speak about this some in our, our book, Resilience, but uh, and one of the things that Harvard uh, shares in the science of resilience is that resilience requires supportive relationships and opportunities for skill building. And no matter the source of hardship, the single most common factor for children who end up doing well, who have gone through difficult situations, is having the support of at least one stable and committed relationship, whether that's a parent, a caregiver, or adult. So as we have opportunities to come alongside of kids as they face these difficult situations, whether it's this season we're in today or a season ahead, uh, what encourages us is the power of that one loving, caring adult to come alongside of that child and say, hey, I know you're in a difficult spot, uh, but I'm going to walk alongside of them uh, to help them 
be the resilient, thriving adults one day that, that we want them to become, but also with the prayer and the hope that they will be thriving followers of Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives. Amen. The hope that both of you are giving me too is that this moment that everyone is pretty much agreeing is going to define a generation. Um, it, it sounds overly simplistic, but it doesn't have to define a generation in a negative way. That this resilience that is being forced upon a lot of children has the potential to be a positive uh, steel sharpening steel kind of experience for these kids to be resilient and lead a church that was going to need strong leaders anyway. Before all this started, you know, we use the handle 2050 to describe the future of the faith. The 2050 was going to need resilient disciples. What makes this this season particularly challenging for myself and for what I imagine a lot of parents are that normally when my child, especially me with young kids, normally when my children are scared of something, it's something I'm not afraid of. But this is a circumstance where even if they can articulate it, there's a lot more in this conversation around coronavirus that my daughter might be afraid of that I also might be afraid of. So how do we begin to project the hope that we, that God is working on in us to our kids? Like, what does that look like to live that out? What does that look like on a family sort of individual level? Here's the simple thing to consider doing. I think sometimes as parents and adults and leaders of, of kids, we feel like we've got to show this utter strength and invincibility And I think that's not always the right approach. I think it's very appropriate to say to our kids, say, you know what? I got to be honest with you, this this thing is really unsettling. And I don't know what's going to happen to the country. I don't have a crystal ball. Can we just pray together that we can each trust God through this? Because your mom or your dad or your youth leader is working through this too. And I don't want to live anxiously. I don't want to live with anxiety because the Bible says, you know, trust in the Lord and, you know, lay our anxieties on him. Let's just pray together that all of us, regardless of these stresses, can be better at trusting the Lord. I think that's really honest. It shows vulnerability and it just speaks to our kids like, hey, I don't have this figured out. I'm still in process and things are going to be okay, you know, just because we're in ultimately in the family of God. So that, that's one small thing I would suggest that parents do with, with their kids. That's great. Matt, does anything come to mind for you? Oh, I, I think Sean just hit it on um, hit the nail on the head. That pray, prayer is that, that signal that we are dependent upon God and our faith and our trust is in him. And when it's not, we're asking God, could you please give me uh, greater faith and trust in you. Now, while Sean was speaking, it made me think of something we say often is that there's a reason God started the Bible with these four words in the beginning, God, because he was trying to signal to us that there's something supernatural happening here. Like this is, this is God's story and he's going to do some pretty grand jaw dropping things uh, throughout his story. And I think uh, that was his way of, of signaling that to us so that we can sit back and read and engage his story and watch him do the same things in our lives that cause us to say, this is a God worth following. This is a God worth trusting. He is supernatural. And we're going to come to him in prayer. We're going to come to him in greater faith. And, and I think what Sean says there is absolutely right. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. 
Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.